Even if you read your Bible and study it, it often feels like you find competing messages or confusing passages that make you wonder about things like, is it true that God only chooses some people to be saved? Does the Bible actually teach about an elect group? What is up with the Trinity? We believe in one God, but we also believe in three persons? How does that even work? And what about the faithful, obedient Jewish people? What will happen to them when Christ returns? We're going to be tackling all of those ideas in this episode of Theology On Air. Well, welcome to the final episode of our series, Does the Bible Really Say?, where we've been exploring hard sayings, popular myths, misinterpretations, and tricky themes in Scripture. Sometimes Scripture doesn't actually have a verse that says something we all believe to be true, but once we look at the entirety of God's Word, we realize the idea is biblical. Or it isn't. But before we dig into today's questions, of course, Theology on Air is an offshoot of Theology on Tap. Um, If you live in the Houston area, we would love for you to come and join us at one of our events. We drink beer and we talk about fascinating things. And you can learn everything you need to know about the world and everything in it. Not really, but definitely about Theology on Tap and Theology on Air at HoustonTOT.com. So check that out and, you know, donate lots of money so we can keep doing this kind of thing. But in all seriousness, if you share this with a friend, that would also be helpful. So I'm Sarah Stone. I'm the Executive Director of Theology on Tap. And joining me is Evan McClanahan, Senior Pastor at First Lutheran Church in Midtown, and our guest today, and a, a fan favorite, Juan Carlos Martinez is the associate pastor at Christ Presbyterian Church. They've changed their names a couple of times, I think, here in Houston, and serves on the board of trustees at Westminster Theological Seminary in Philadelphia. He's married to his high school sweetheart, Samada. We heard about her in one of our last episodes, and, and he credits really his faith to that relationship, which is so sweet. They have three children, Santiago Daniel, who's 15, Karenina Velesca, who's 12, and Juan Andres, who's seven. Thank you for joining us. Great to be here. So Thank happy you. to have you. So uh, if you've been listening now, you know the, the routine. We're going to go through some questions. These have been crowdsourced from our own people. If you have questions like this, come to our events and ask them, and maybe we'll put them in a podcast or do an event on it. Um, but we're asking three questions today that are all really juicy, and I don't even know that I have great answers, which is why we called in the big guns. We're going to be asking the question, does the Bible really say that few will be saved, that there's an elect? Yee. We could go on that for hours, but we won't. Does the Bible really say that God is triune, meaning does God teach this idea of the Trinity, which is uniquely Christian? And then lastly, does the Bible really say that obedient Jews are damned? That's the way it was put to us. Um, it's interesting, I guess. Um, oh, my gosh. What's the name of the guy who interviews a bunch of people and he's like hard hitting and he has a bunch of pastors on Larry King? I guess he asks all of the ministry type folks that come on about obedient Jews. Like, that's one of his, like, go-to questions. But we'll save that to last, um, because then if we run out of time, I don't have to answer it, because I'm joking. We're not going to run out of time. Let's start with the juicy one, uh, the elect, that few will be saved. Does the Bible really say that? I'm going to turn over to Juan Carlos to start us off on that, and then we'll, we'll, you know, spar a little bit, maybe. What do you think? Well, I I know we want to talk about the elect, but the question itself um, mm-hmm. Does the Bible say that the few will be saved? Yeah. It doesn't really say that. At least that's not exactly yeah. what it says. In Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14, we read there, Enter the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Yeah. So there, it, it, it seems like it's saying that. Mm-hmm. However, what, what's in view there is a comparison. That there are these two roads and that there are these two gates and that at any given moment, there are many more people that would be on that easy road and that and going through that wide gate that leads to perdition when compared to those that are on the, on, on, on the hard road and going through the narrow gate that leads to salvation and to eternal life. So there's, that's the comparison. However, over time, you know, God is patient and history is long. <laughs> um, and uh, even, even if there are few at any given moment, let's say, walking on the, in, in that easy road and through that narrow gate, over time, there are many actually who are yeah. saved. 
And we see that in scripture. We see in Romans 5, for example, right? That through the sin of one man, the many were condemned. Uh, so also through the obedience of mm-hmm. the one man, the many will be made righteous, not the few. Hmm. And and that's actually what we would find even in, in, in the entire teaching of scripture. We think about the bookends of the Bible, just to pick, mm-hmm. you know, Genesis and Revelation. So in, in Genesis 12, when God calls Abram, mm-hmm. right? He, he promises that he's going to be, uh, th- through his offspring, all the families of the earth will be blessed. That doesn't sound like a few. The, sc- the scope there is, yeah. is quite large. In Genesis 15, he, he says, uh, look, look, look at the sky and look at the heavens and count the stars. If you can count them, yeah. right, so will your offspring be. Again, the scope mm-hmm. is not few, it's many. And then in Genesis 17, he, God changes his name from Abram to Abraham because he will be the father of a multitude. Mm-hmm. And then if you go to the end of the Bible, you go to Revelation, and, and in both in chapter 5 and in chapter 7, what do we see as, as, as the heavens are opened and John peers into the spiritual realm that, that goes not just through, it doesn't just cross the material and, and the spiritual boundary, but also in a sense, time comes together there. Hmm. And he sees a, a multitude that is so great that it cannot be counted. Hmm. People from every tribe and language and nation and tongue. Mm-hmm. And, and they are, what are they doing? They are worshiping and praising God and they are rejoicing in their salvation. So so certainly it's not that a few will be saved. Hmm. What was in view there was, was a... a um, a comparison, I would say. Mm. That's a really good distinction. I like that. But All right. So, well, thanks but, for joining us today. That's the end of our episode. We'll just leave on a high yeah. note. So many will be many will be saved, but there are always going to be people who have issue with even some being damned, right? Or some some being yes. judged. Not being saved. I'm yes. Sorry. Yes. So 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 by definition, you if, if if not all are saved, you're gonna have a saved group and a not saved group, which I, I guess we would call the saved group perhaps the elect so which is the second part so the person wrote you know that few will be saved and then they put in parentheses the elect right and i think implicit in the question yeah is the the objection is exactly that right why is it that so few are saved even why why is anybody not saved but but the question is exactly wrong It, it ought to be the opposite i mean just understanding scripture uh is that why why should any be saved right in romans 3 23 all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Mm-hmm. Right? The, the question is, why, why would God um, save anyone? And that, and, that, and that is the answer, essentially, is God's sovereign grace. So, so to talk about election, only God can save, and it, and it has to be his sovereign grace because we are dead in our sin. We can't save ourselves. And God graciously does indeed save. So, um, so who does he save? And, and why does he save? In, in Ezekiel 36 verses 26 and 27, um, that, that's a very helpful text because there we read, and I will give you a new heart and mm-hmm. a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So there you see the sovereignty of God in, in regeneration. He gives, he takes somebody who has a heart of stone, in other mm-hmm. words, a dead heart to the things of God. Mm-hmm. And then, and, and he quickens it. He gives it life and puts his spirit. And, not, and, and as if that weren't enough, it's not just that he gives you a chance. Now he causes you because you have a new nature, you have a new heart to walk in his statutes. So I think when we think of election, certainly in our day and age, we, it, we tend to think of it as this very bad thing because it, it attacks our sense of autonomy our sense of freedom. And what we miss out when we look at it from that perspective is the the, the kindness of God. Mm. That we can't, n- nobody is worthy of being saved. We all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but also our inability uh, and, and, uh, and, and that God entirely equips us to be saved and then works out that salvation in us so that we do indeed walk in those good works. So, uh, so God does it, okay? God, God is the one who saves. Now, very clearly the scriptures uh, we, we can all think of examples, even from the Bible itself, of people who are not saved. Mm-hmm. So he does save, and yet he doesn't save everyone. everyone right? So, so if God is sovereign, then then why does he save some and not others? I think that's part of the, the objection mm-hmm. yeah. um, that, that we read there. Now, I don't want to be the only one. I don't want to hog up all the time. So you... You can feel free to jump in at any moment, but I can certainly keep talking about Appreciate it. Appreciate that. Yes. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I obviously have questions like yes. um, if it's nothing about our own merit that, yes. you know, God chooses. Let's just assume the three people in this room. We're on team Jesus. Let's assume that we're people that God chose to save. Why us? And why not? Maybe our siblings or our friends or our family. Yes. I mean, that that isn't in the question, but it is in the question. Yeah. You know? Yes. It's in well, between. Well, that, and that, that's a great question. Um the the we we can't say we don't even know who is going to be saved in the sense that you know we we may think of 
friends or family who who don't uh, who are not walking with the Lord. Yeah. Uh, and and but we would be too quick to condemn them if we were to say, mm-hmm. well, they're they're a lost cause. Oh, of course. Uh, right. So so we yeah. don't know. We don't know if somebody is going to. Uh, we certainly know that you know when we've come to know Christ, that is a, a work of His and His grace, and it's amazing. If He can save us, He can save others. Mm-hmm. That that being said. Uh, what we do know, what the scripture does answer is that he doesn't save us because there's something good in us. Right. Right. So it's not that we are better, more qualified, more worthy of salvation than somebody who's not walking with the Lord. Right. It is his work, but it's not just that it's his work, it's for his good pleasure. Mm-hmm. So it's not that God, you know, some would say, some Christians would say that the Bible teaches that God looks down the corridors of time. Yeah. Right. And, and coming for you, Molinus. And, and, and it's able, right, to see all the possible worlds, let's say. Yeah. And, and he determines who, if, when, when presented with the opportunity to accept the gospel, mm-hmm. to, to bend the knee to, to the Lord Jesus Christ, as it were, that, that they would do it. And, right. and others won't. And so then after that, given, given that, um, that work, of obedience foreseen by God in his perfect knowledge, he, he then determines, okay, this is, this is, then therefore this person is elect because I know that all things being equal. They will have that said person, yes. Yes, yeah. exactly. But then of course, then, then predestination is no longer predestination. Right. Then it's post-destination. Yes. Right. And, and the will of God is no longer, is now contingent. It's secondary. It's yeah. secondary. It's contingent on, on man's will. And, and that is certainly a foreign concept to scripture. What we see, there's many places in scripture that we could talk about, but given time, I would say that one of the most helpful places is Romans 9. Yeah. Uh, right? Romans Spoken 9. Spoken like a true Presbyterian. Well, and, and, no, let's go. And, let's and, go. and it's in a, it, he let's gives say, a, It's the Bible for everyone. Yes, it's the Bible <laughs> for everyone. And he yes. gives, Paul there gives a, an excellent example because he, he, he talks about specific people in scripture, right? And he talks about, for example, uh, Esau and Jacob. Mm-hmm. And he says that the younger will, the, the older will serve the younger. And, but, but he doesn't just say that. He says that, that it has nothing to do with their foreseen works. In fact, he says, while they were still in the womb, mm-hmm. God chooses them. And not just while they were still in the womb, while they were still in the womb, so that they have done nothing yet. Right. Right. So now, if, if what God actually does is that, yes, they're in the womb, and yes, they've done nothing yet. However, he actually has already seen what they're going to do. Then Paul is being misleading there. Right. Right. But, but he says, well, they have done nothing either good or bad at that point. God, so, so that God's choice in election is preserved. God says at that point, the older will serve the younger. Jacob I loved and Esau I hated. And that's, that, that's an, uh, a Hebrew idiom for yeah. choosing. Yeah. Right. Um, that's why Jesus then says, for example, that hate you your are father to hate and your mother. father and mm-hmm. mother. He's talking about choosing. Um, and so, but, but very clearly there in Romans 9, Paul is saying that it's, that it rests in God and not in us. So for those of us who are, who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have nothing to boast about. Right. Because God doesn't, did not look at us and say, well, you know what? This guy's going to believe. Yeah. yeah. He may be terrible. You know what? He, he's going to believe when, <laughs> when presented with the opportunity. So therefore I choose him. No, no, no. It's entirely the only reason that the scriptures give or why he chooses whoever he chooses is because he puts his love there. Mm. And, and what can we do then, but, but worship and be, yeah. and, and be grateful and then work. And, and what that means though, is that if he can save us, then he can save anyone. Yeah. There's a, a parallel, I think, to the the Jews as well, the elect people of God, which we may, maybe get to yeah. later, or the chosen people of God. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, you know, Paul talks about, well, they weren't chosen. I think it's Paul, right? They weren't chosen for their virtue, yes. right? Or they weren't chosen because they were good. It was really God's blessing that he yes. chose this group of people um, to and, reveal And Moses write that as well in, okay. in Deuteronomy. Okay. Yes. Yes, that, yes. Yes. That's probably, that's probably not Paul. I'm thinking of Paul some of Paul also says it. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Like Romans 4, the Abraham chapter and mm-hmm. things like that. Um, but, you know, Jesus says, you know, I could raise up, you know, children from stones. Yes. Right. You know, I don't, I don't need you. I, I don't need you. I resonate with that passage. My last name's Stone. <laughs> there you go. For those um, listening. Yeah. So, yeah, I, let me, let me ask this. Um, and I'll, I'll try to be as provocative as I possibly can, because I, I think that the issues with with this issue, if you will, or like the problems people have with the question of election, there there comes a point where I feel like um, it's almost sinful because it, it feels to me at some point like just in, inserting man uh, in 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 such sovereign decisions that he really doesn't belong. Um, I think it's a, it's, it's at best a fundamental misunderstanding of who God is and his real sovereignty, which if he actually is sovereign, then, you know, we're really not cooperating. I mean, in, 
I mean, sorry, but that's just if, – if, if he's sovereign, then we're not. So, And then a, a fundamental misunderstanding of the nature of man, right? Like the yes. ability of man to choose the good. And this goes back to, you know, the the, the uh, Pelagius and, you know, semi-Pelagianism and, you know, still some of the debates raging today about the nature of the will of man. Um, so at best, they're misunderstandings of those things. But at worst, it's man inserting himself into a process and demanding <laughs> that God respect who he is. And to me, it starts to feel not unforgivable sin level, but it starts to feel sinful. Am I being too harsh? Let me, yes, I want to push back on that. I yeah. think you're being too harsh. Okay. Well, I'm a little bit being devil's advocate, but I'm a little bit working out my own stuff here. Yeah. Um, even if I assent to the idea, and I'm fully on board, that God takes the first step. We're dead in our transgressions, right? We can do nothing to save ourselves. God saves us. It has nothing to do with us being worthy of it, right? Like, okay. I can be on board with that. But when you talk about God being sovereign, I picture like a king of a kingdom. And if the king of the kingdom chooses some to be saved, by by nature of that choice, there are some that will not be saved. And so that is because he's sovereign. That is also his choice, right? That's his, quote, good pleasure for some to not be. Now, he allowed those people to be born and he gave them a life. And if we take a traditional view of hell then he's choosing that they will spend eternity in conscious torment. But they had no say in it, right? Because we didn't even have say in our salvation. It seems maybe my limited human brain, very unfair. Yes, but they do have a say, right? No, nobody nobody goes to hell, to put it that way, uh, against their own will. It's very C.S. Um, Lewis-y. Well, yeah. it, but yes, that's right. It doesn't see and biblical. Lewis, doesn't C.S. Lewis say that, that hell is the, the greatest monument to, to human freedom or something like that? Yeah, so, I have so, that something, quote right I can't, here. I can't remember exactly what the quote is. But, but um, I, I, you know, I, I would say that, yes, when, when taken to his logical consequences, I don't think that it's too harsh. Although sometimes that's not our objective. We're not really thinking in those terms. We're all, we, we're all influenced by the times in which we live, the culture in which we live. And certainly in the West for a long time, uh, human autonomy is, is, a, is, is, a, is a good, that it's sometimes an ultimate good. And the idea of that being in any way limited, be in any way restrained, is, does violence to the way that we think about anthropology, the way we think about human beings. And, but, but unfortunately, Autonomy is not a biblical concept, mm-hmm. right? Autonomy uh, is, I mean, even just the word itself, two parts, me, it, it means that you're a law unto yourself, mm. right? And and the Bible never says that we're a law unto ourselves. In fact, it says quite the opposite. Sure. We are always under God's law. And and so we now, we, we when we disobey, it's not that we we would obey, but but God is forcing us to disobey. Our, our very nature, we have a fallen nature, and our very nature is to love sin and to hate God when we have that heart of stone. It doesn't mean, thankfully, that people are as as, as um, sinful as they could possibly sure. be or as bad as they could possibly be. But it does mean that if God does not change our heart, if he doesn't change our nature, we have no interest in, in worshiping God and doing anything for his glory. So everything that we do, because everything is to be done into the glory of God, will ultimately be at some level, even at the at the motive level, sinful. Um, and not, not every sin is the same and there's, you know, but but nevertheless, nothing will be done to the glory of God when our heart and nature do, are not his. So if our nature is inherently sinful, inherently rebellious, we can't do anything good of our own, then we, we can't choose God, right? Yes. I mean, without his help, like on our own, without him quickening our spirit or, you know. Yes. So then we also can't choose not God. We also can choose not like God. it's not a choice. It's our nature. Well, no, it's yes. our uh, like ontological makeup. Yes, like it's our. Well, one might think of of a of an apple tree, right? An apple one tree. One might. Yeah. An, ap- an apple tree is not is not going to bear oranges. Yeah. Right? It will only bear apples because that's its nature. Um, so so we always act according to our nature. Um, the 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 problem is that our nature is fallen. Right, but I think for us to understand that again, I think what gets in the way is our autonomy and in the way, our individualism in the West. That's not a biblical concept. In in the Bible, the the concept of covenant is, is very critical. You know, the idea of federal headship. Let's say, yeah. Um, the, why why are we fallen? Why why is everybody who is born who who proceeds from Adam by ordinary generation? Why why are they? Why are we fallen in in, in that initial state? Well, the the answer is covenant that there was a covenant that was made and and Adam wasn't just representing himself he was representing sure. his progeny now 
that that's the bad part of the of, of the that's the raw deal in a sense <laughs> that that we get when we're born that we are sons of Adam and therefore we have his seed. But there's a second Adam, right? Who who doesn't come from him, a seed of woman, and and who's really as a human being. But that's not really the point, right? When it comes to the Virgin Mary, the point in in, in the virgin birth is not that oh here's one who 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 is born from Mary in particular. The point is that he's not born from Adam. Because mm-hmm. he, and therefore he's a second Adam, and that and, the, and he's not part of Adam's progeny, and therefore he is born as as a human being, but without sin, mm-hmm. and and he is able just like Adam to be a federal head. A covenant is made, and he can represent those who are his, and just like the the sin of Adam was sufficient, so that the many would be would be cursed, the many would die, the many would be sinful, as Paul writes in Romans five. So too, the obedience of the second Adam is sufficient in its entirety for for the many to be made righteous. So if I'm going to say, well, you know what, I don't like this idea of um, of inherent sin, of original sin, where I had nothing to do with it. You know, I was part of this covenant that I, but I, I didn't sign it. It was somebody else who signed it for me. I also have to say, well, I can't take the salvation that is guaranteed mm-hmm. through the perfect work and a perfect obedience of Jesus Christ. I can't accept that either because it's the same law that is in the same concept. We actually do this all the time, right? So this is the way that I explain covenant to my kids is that you know, that when they get home from school and, and they go into their room and they flip the light switch, they expect that that light is going to turn on. Mm-hmm. Now, why will it turn on? What have they done? Have they paid any bills? <laughs> it, they, they are relying on the fact that there's a covenant that's been made between the power company and their parents yeah. who, who represent them in their household. And the, the, the contract is this. Insofar, as long as you pay me, I will give you, provide for you the power. And guess what? Not only will you benefit, but anybody who's part of your household will benefit. You yeah. have to pay. And, and so my kids rejoice that we pay the light bill. They rejoice. Right? However, however, it works mm-hmm. the other way too. Mm-hmm. If we don't pay, if their parents don't pay, they will flip that switch and nothing will turn on. And they'll say, well, why? We didn't do it. Well, it's because of covenant. Mm-hmm. And that's a legal that, that that's a legal contract and, right. it's, and it's fair and just given the way that it was done. They didn't do it. They didn't sign. They reap the benefits as part of the household, but they also pay the consequences. So first of all, I love you guys are getting a theology class here for free, basically. I mean, this is what's happening because I mean, I learned all this in, in my first systematic theology class. It's mm-hmm. great. Um, and I mean, I'm pushing back a little bit for the sake of, you know, not having an Arminian here in the room. But what you're saying is that we don't have a choice. What? Maybe I'm confusing choice and freedom or free will. So maybe you can elucidate that a little bit because it seems like if I don't have a choice, um, then I can't, I can't choose really to rebel against God. I'm, I'm already there. That's the default mode. And in that way, it seems to kind of go against all of the scripture passages like, and I have this one, I have a few written down, but first Timothy two, one to four, um, it has this whole section before it, which is lovely, but it says in verse three, this is good and pleases God, our savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth makes it sound like God wants us all to say yes. But you're saying that we actually can't all say yes. In fact, none of us really can. It's only by God's choice that some of us are even able to do that. Walk us through that. Yes. Well, I think we have to be careful to to understand you know the the semantic range sometimes of of words and and of sentences you know so if god wants all people to be saved mm-hmm. that's what he desires right mm-hmm. and and by that it means every single person to be saved yeah then then we have a t- tremendous problem because either god is impotent yeah or the bible will contradict itself when jesus for example is asked well, why do you teach in parables now, why don't you just explain to us what you just explained? Yeah. What is, but he says that he teaches in parables. So some who have, you know, who have eyes will not see and some who have ears will not hear, will mm-hmm. not understand, right? But to you, uh, it has been given to see and to understand, mm-hmm. right? So so even there, the, the purposes of God are, are quite interesting. Paul sometimes, you know, Paul is prevented from going to certain places mm-hmm. to preach the gospel. Now, one would think that if... Paul would have gone there. Maybe some would have heard. Sure. And and some would have believed. You know, Romans 10, it says, how, how will we believe if nobody comes and preaches the gospel, right? right? And yet God prevents Paul from going to certain places. Well, I thought God wanted everyone to be saved. Well, maybe that's not what it means there, right? Mm. God desires all peoples to be saved. Well, the, any, anybody who is saved, there, there's, there's no people, there's no people group, there's no kind of person yeah. that is beyond, um, the that, that is not 
that, that cannot be part of God's household. Right. Because some, you know, throughout time and, and, may, and even not too long ago, and maybe even now for some people, some would say, well, you know, if you're this kind of person. Right. right Redheads you, or, you, you, you know. Yeah, yeah, you have no hope. And, and God, God doesn't want you. Right. So, so I think what, what Paul is referring there in 1 Timothy uh, is, is that, and, and this, is a, this is something that was very much um, in view in the early church, is, you know, do you have to be a Jew? For example, do you have to be a Jew in order to be saved, in order to be a Christian? Mm-hmm. You first have to be be Judaized, yeah, right? and then Christianized, and, and, and now now you now the Jewish Messiah can save you, right? Uh, and and no, time and again, the answer that that right. the Spirit gives is that that all people can be saved through through Christ. And of course, again, I mentioned earlier the promise to to Abraham, all the families of the earth would be blessed. You you know, um, so, so so when we try to um, limit God's um, God's sovereignty to certain cases or to or also to allow for for man to to come in and, and we take certain texts oftentimes we're importing very modern yeah. uh, ways of thinking into the text now th- that being said even people in antiquity and even and even Paul's audience um, would have had the very question that you're raising actually but but mm-hmm. he addresses this in Romans nine again. So so let me go to Romans nine very quickly because I, I think yeah. he he does address this very issue and anticipates the very objection that you're raising, Sarah. Um, so so let me begin in Romans nine uh, and I'll say I'll start with verse ten. And not only so, but also when Rebecca had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I love, but Esau I hated. You know, mm-hmm. look at this, verse 14. What shall we say then? <laughs> is there injustice on God's part? Mm. I mean, that's exactly the objection mm-hmm. that is being raised here by Paul. His answer is by no means. For he says to Moses... I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. Now, I'll keep reading, but, but, but here's something that's very key. When we think of election, oftentimes we think that the currency of election, the currency of salvation, is justice, and the backing for it is good works. Yeah. Okay? But actually, what Scripture teaches us is that the currency of, of election is... is um, is mercy. It's not justice. It's mercy, and the backing is grace. Ooh. Okay, and and we yeah. and we see that here. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. Um, to continue here in verse sixteen. So then, it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the Scripture says to Pharaoh, "For this very purpose I have raised you up." that I might show my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills and he hardens whomever he wills. And again, a question. You will say to me then, <laughs> verse 19, why does he still find fault mm-hmm. for who can resist his will? Now, if the Arminian understanding, if Paul is actually an Arminian, okay, a <laughs> proto-Arminian, and, and, and what he's trying to say is that God has looked to the future and seen who will obey and who will disobey, then then these questions actually don't make any sense. He can just say, what do you mean, why does he find fault? He doesn't. The, 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 if you're not saved, it's because he looked down the corridors of time and you weren't going to believe. So, I mean, that's the answer, but that's not... Well, I, I don't think some people would say that Paul was a proto-Arminian. Uh, well, they might say that, but what you're describing is a little bit more Molinistic, right? The sort of middle knowledge of the woods and the good. Yes, yes, yes. An Arminian would say that God gave each of us pervenient grace enough to at least be able to say yes or no. And so that our choice, I mean, God still provides the grace for all of us, but but the option is open to all of us. And that's, that's, yes, sounds really good to me. Well, it's especially a, when I'm well, playing devil's advocate, which y'all yes. is kind of scary talking to Juan Carlos Martinez no, no, no. And going up against it. But no, no, <laughs> the, and, and I think that the motivation behind that is actually not, not simply sometimes we could say, well, you know, you're, you have such a love for autonomy that you, that you want to preserve free will. I don't think that's, that, I don't think that was Arminius motivation. And, I, and for many, even, I think what you're trying to protect there is God's justice, right? Because there's a sense of yes. fairness. Unfairness. That, yeah. That you think, yeah. well, you know. Maybe this is the expert. Can, can we just say this, right? Can yeah. we just say that at some point God wants to save, but he leaves it up to us. And so therefore some people who don't accept, who, who reject God's mercy, well, they're going to get what they deserve then or what they want even, right? Um, I think that's the motivation. And so that, that's, that's not a bad motivation to have. However, we, you know, to not, to not make it just some, a subjective thing. Well, I, I think this and I think that. 
we, we have to go to the scripture, yeah. right? And, and, and here you will say to me, then why does he still find fault for who can resist his will? And the answer that Paul gives is not the answer that I, that I would hope for, but it's the answer he gives. And this is what he says. He says, but who are you, oh man, mm-hmm. to answer back to God? Right. Um, will will what is molded say to its molder, why have you make me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God desiring to show his wrath, to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory? So, in other words, Paul's answer is a reminder to us of what we're uh, of of the fact that. Um, God is, he's not just the, the best possible kind, the most noble possible kind of human, mm-hmm. the most just and the most good and the most right and the most merciful kind of human that we can right. possibly imagine. Right, right. He is unlike he's us. He's other. Mm-hmm. He's other, right? Yeah. Um, R.C. Sproul used to like to provocably, uh, say, um, that God does not exist and and the reason he could say that was you know, he, again you know looking looking at at the at the word itself exists made up of two Greek parts ex meaning out of mm-hmm. and the ist is from histemi to stand and so um, anything that that exists is something that has take has is standing out of something as it is mm. has comes been taken from something comes from yeah. something God does not come from anything that's right God is. Right, yeah. and, that, and that's his name. He is, yeah. uh, and so, so therefore, in that te- very technical sense, isn't, God does not exist. God simply is, and everything else. And he's he's unlike us. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts mm-hmm. are not our thoughts. And what Paul is saying is, you there, there comes. You are now hitting a wall, and you have to trust that God is good. And of course, mm. up to, up to this point, and even in Romans eight, the goodness of God mm-hmm. has been magnified in the writing mm-hmm. of Paul uh, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And that's where we are. We have to trust that God is not like us. He's good. He's so much better. He's good and he's just. And no, nobody on, on the final day is going to say, well, listen, you know, I know that I am being condemned over there, but actually God, right. I love you and I want to be over there. Um, there, there, it will be gnashing of teeth and weeping, but not because, um, you know, now they see the truth and they, and they repent of it. Hmm. You know, repentance is a gift. And that's a very hard thing in many ways. But yeah. the only thing... That, but it's not an unjust thing because God is not unjust. It's not an unfair thing because God is not, God is not unfair. Well, how do we know? Well, because of, of who God actually is. And I have to um, believe his word yeah. and stay there. Man, golly, that's so good. And I, I really want to keep talking about this. I'm aware yes. that we've taken already a big chunk of time for this. I'm going to move us on. But I have all these other verses I want you to answer. So maybe I'll just have to have you back. Well, I'll finally say this. Just one one last yeah. thing. Because I think um, um, you mentioned – the king earlier. Well, you know, the king yeah. has come, right? And and he and he will come again. But Jesus in John 6, 37 to 30 to, to 40, he says, uh, you know, I have come to do the will of him who sent me. And this is his will. I'm paraphrasing. But then now I'm quoting, that I shall lose nothing of all that he has given me, but I shall raise it up on the last day. Jesus do- doesn't simply come to make salvation possible. He has a mission. And he says that the Father has given something to him. Mm-hmm. And and the question is, does Jesus fulfill his mission? Does he? Yeah. Um, and, and he says, I will raise it up on the last day. Will he do it or will he not do it? Well, he He'll will. He yeah. will. He will do it. He has a mission and he fulfills that mission. Jesus doesn't simply make salvation possible. He actually saves. Effectuates he, it. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So. Yeah. No, the, the best teaching I ever heard on, well, that was accessible to my tiny brain about the L from Tulip, limited atonement was... Um, did God die for everyone, but he didn't do a good job? Yes. Right? Or yes. did he affect, did he did that's he complete right. the work? And yes. I was like, oh, that's a good one. Now, but Yes, that's why some would say it's definite atonement would be a yes. better way to put it or particular redemption. Yeah, but then you have two pip and that's awkward. Yes, so. exactly. <laughs> okay, I'm moving us on. But yes. I think the logical course is to go to the question about the Jews here because so much of what you've said, especially talking about the covenant with Abraham, um, which obviously the covenant with Abraham was for Israel, at least for a time, you know? Uh, so the question on the table here, I'm skipping to our third one is, does the Bible really say obedient Jews are damned? Man, people do not mince words. They're not like, what about obedient Jews? They're like, they use the D word. Um, either of you have any, Evan, do you have any thoughts on that? 
I mean, I have a couple passages ready to read, but... I, I thought Juan Carlos was the expert. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, but actually... But this one's actually the easy one, I thought. Okay. Because that, that one's an easy answer. No, no, the Bible does not say that. Right. You know, the Bible does not say that. In fact, the Bible says quite the opposite. Anyone who obeys perfectly, whether Jew or Greek, anyone who keeps mm. the law perfectly will be saved. Yeah. Right? So that's what the Bible actually actually teaches. The problem, of course, is the Bible also teaches that none of us... Can actually do that, do right? That. And Romans three is instructful there. Um, uh, Romans three nine it says that both Jews and Greeks are under sin. Paul yeah. writes that in three twelve he says that no one does good, not even one. Mm-hmm. And then in in three twenty he says by the works of the law no human being will be justified. So forget forget the issue of Jews just for a moment. No human being will be justified by the works of the law. Right. So. so so the the obedience is, is 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 problematic because nobody does that nobody except one and that's Paul's point right there and is- that passage is actually hearkening back to Romans two right before it where he yes. gives a longer example where he's kind of like calling the Jews or maybe the Jewish leaders really the rabbis yes and he's saying like have you kept the law really like have you well it's, you say that you haven't not committed adultery but yes have you that's you right know, and and really on. the issue there is is the the immediate audience is not necessarily jewish rabbis it's actually jewish christians there's there's a problem that paul is addressing and in, in, there's many but but certainly one of them in paul's letters to the romans is the issue between leadership in the church should should it be jewish christians who lead the church hmm. or gentile christians and the mm-hmm. reason for that is that claudius had expelled the jews um, about a decade earlier from, from Rome, and that included Jewish Christians. Hmm. So there was a vacuum of power in the church, and Gentiles, Gentile filled Christians, it. filled it. Well, now after Claudius' death, Christians are allowed to come back. Into, Jews. To, to, yeah, Christ, Jewish Christians are yes. allowed to come back. And, and now there's other leaders in the church, and there's a problem. Well, should the Jews be the ones who are leading the church because ours is the covenant, ours is the law, right? Or, or should it be the Gentiles? And, and that's part hmm. of what is being, what's in view there. But, um, of course, Paul does make the point, very, very thankfully, he makes the point that there is one who keeps the law perfectly. And guess what? He's Jew. <laughs> He's yeah, a Jew, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. He's the perfect Jewish man who perfectly obeys the law. And salvation is found only in him. Acts 4.12. Um, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. First Timothy 2.5. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. So, so... There is one who keeps it, and he's Jewish. He's the perfect Jewish man, the Messiah, um, and he keeps it, and salvation is found only in him. But not only that, he really does save. So here, let me just read Romans 10, 9 to 13, because I think it's very, very helpful. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Mm. Jew and Greek, Mm -hmm. for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing Mm. his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. In Ephesians 2.14, for Christ is our peace, who has made both, that is Jews and Gentiles, one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. So in other words, in other words, the the question I think makes assumptions that aren't true. Um, that there, if if what the question is getting at, which I think it is, is that somebody who is a Jew uh, and who uh, today who who does not believe in Jesus and who is Jewish and is keeping the Jewish religion as it exists today, mm-hmm. um, which is which is by the way not the Jewish religion of the times of Jesus or of the Old Testament. It was a it, it was rabbinical Judaism, which is a religion that had to reinvent itself after the temple was destroyed. What do you mm. do now if the temple is destroyed, mm. mm-hmm. right? And and so so then the synagogue becomes the center of the religion, and prayer becomes the sacrifice. So um, so it's a, it's a religion that is made up in a polemical way, very much understanding that this other Jewish understanding of 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 Moses and and the prophets and the law, uh, I, I mean, and, and the writings. Has uh, with with Jews uh, uh, initially, and then other others uh, are are proclaiming the Messiah has come, and that everything has been fulfilled. They um, invent the rabbinical Judaism that we know now, and and of course based on the on the Talmud, the Babylonian Talmud, the the uh, Jerusalem Talmud, uh, which are which are written 
after the New Testament. Hmm. Now, traditions that predate perhaps um, in some cases uh, the New Testament, but but inscripturated after the New Testament and and very much in a polemical sense. That's a religion that is invented afterwards. Hmm. And, um, and But the question then is, if you keep that, you're denying the Messiah. If you keep that, can you be saved? And the answer is no. Right. Not because you are Jewish, but because you're actually disobeying. Yeah. Right. So obeying who? Does does the does the Muslim who obey it, the Quran will that person be saved? Does the secular humanist who obeys the the the, the, the land, you know the, the law of the land now yeah. will that person be saved? Well, that that assumes that there can be very very many lawgivers, and if that were true, then the Bible wouldn't be true. Yeah. The Bible says there's one lawgiver, mm. and if you and you must obey his law. The perfect obedience is required, and that's why his son had to come. So anybody who obeys, whether Jew or Greek, right. if you obey um, the commandments of God, if you obey um, even in the sense of trusting in his promises, you will be saved. And and, and there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. Yeah. So, so, so the, and of course, um, Paul writes in Galatians, who are the sons of Abraham? Those who believe. Those who hmm. believe. So so if, if you believe... Um, because a just like Abraham believed, if you believe, then you are Abraham's son, and you are part of the covenant. And 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 it's not. It doesn't matter if you're Jewish or or Greek. If you're Gentile, if you're male or female, yeah. if you're slave or free, um, if you are trusting in the promises of God and 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 in His promised Messiah, you will be saved. It's the right. Abrahamic covenant. That is still in effect today, right? Yes, I mean, of course we're that's right. In the covenantal mold and maybe dispensationalists, I don't know, have an issue with this. But, you know, we would say it's the Abrahamic covenant, the, the covenant God made with Abram, Abraham, that, that is still in effect today. That's and that right. Christ is bringing us into be children of Abraham. It's the Mosaic covenant that maybe is most identified with being Jewish, right? Mm -hmm. yes. You know, the sacrificial system, the temple, tabernacle. Sabbath, that, yeah. Yeah, all of those sorts of things. Ceremonial law, you might say. Um, that is what was concluded. That that. Those particular laws, you know, have, have been brought to an end. So yes. anyway, so yes. yeah. So the the point is we're not picking on anybody. No. You know, Christians aren't picking on anybody. We're, we're saying... Or you're picking first, on everybody. Yeah, we're picking on everybody. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. So, salvation is open to all. Um, is You know, I've heard someone say that really it's, it's essentially Pharisaical Judaism that survived the, uh, you know, the, the destruction of Jerusalem, I guess you might say. Um, I don't know if you would agree with that or not, but... Um, Interesting. I think that's kind of what you were saying in a sense. Is yes. That, that's, that, that's, 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 those are the, the, those, the believing Jews today, by the way, most Jews today are not believing even of Judaism. Yes. I think that's fair to say, but. Um, yes, but even then, I, I would agree, certainly been shaped by, by Pharisaical Judaism, but even Pharisaical, Pharisaical Judaism existed within the context of temple, mm -hmm. right? And, and uh, the religion that exists now is one that exists without the temple. Mm -hmm. So so it can't possibly be the same kind of religion. Right. Uh, certainly shaped by it in, in many ways in, in teachings and even rabbi even even Pharisee Pharisees and Pharisaical rabbis that that are would be um, in, in Judaism today exalted and honored. But nevertheless we can't miss the fact that it's actually a different kind of religion. Jude 2 5 uh, is, is is a fascinating text because there we see um, Jude writing that that Jesus saved a people out of Egypt and then it says, but afterward destroy those who did not believe. How fascinating is that? Obviously, referring to the Exodus, Jude says that it's Jesus who, who saved the people out of Egypt, but then destroyed those who did not believe. In other words, faith and believe and trust in God's promises has always been in view. This is why um, Judaism was never strictly uh, a matter of genetics, Right. If you know, we have even in, even in the lineage of of the Messiah. Of course, uh, we have some who are not Jews by by birth, mm -hmm. not Jews by blood, and yet they're part of the lineage. Why? Mm -hmm. Because they they trust, they believe in the Messiah. Okay. Uh, yes. So the thing you just said is actually a great segue to our next question. But yes. and I just heard at the apologetics conference this last weekend, someone used that Jude verse to talk about Jesus in the Old Testament. But I, I want to ask one question that we don't have planned for today. And I just want you to give the quickest, like one to two sentence answer. I know you can do this um, because this might be crossing people's minds. I know that I've had it asked in my own Bible study multiple times, but all of what we've been saying is that anyone who calls on the name of Jesus can be saved. What about all the people before Jesus? I mean, not before Jesus, because he's always existed, but before he came as a man, all the people in the Old Testament that were faithful believers I'm asking this in a crude way on purpose. Are they in heaven? 
yes, if they're faithful believers, yes, of course. And and we can say that not even speculating because the, the New Testament refers right. to this all the time. You know, you have, for example, Paul writing in, in Romans 4 about Abraham believing, mm-hmm. right? And it was credited to him as, as righteousness. righteousness. We, you have in, um, in the gospel according to John uh, that Isaiah, Jesus saying that Isaiah you know, saw me, right? So we, and, and, and that's probably referring to Isaiah chapter six, where Isaiah has this vision of, of God, you know, who's holy, uh, threefold, three times holy. And, and it, so Jesus, they're referring that he's actually seeing him, hmm. um, before Abraham was, I am, you know, mm-hmm. Jesus saying, for example, um, and the, you've got the, all who call have, upon the name have, of the Lord will be saved. Have, right? uh, like, uh, yes. in the man of transfiguration, you have, uh, Moses and Elijah appearing next to you. And, and what does God say? Listen to him. Right. So it's not that here comes a new way. It's actually, there's a fulfillment. Right. And, and the, the, the Bible, both old and new Testament is just as much the word of God, just as important. We're not to unhinge any part of the Bible. I understand. Uh, yes. <laughs> and, but, but in the old Testament, well, the, the faithful, um, People of God were looking forward to the fulfillment of God's promises, yeah. trusting that the, the day would come where God's promises would be fulfilled. And 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 those who died resting in that promise, they were they were actually trusting in the same thing that we trust, except That's we right. have the great benefit of looking back at the at the fulfillment of those promises, of almost all of those promises, just the return of Christ is what's left um, in in the Messiah, yeah. in that seed of woman. Uh, so um so, That's great. Yeah, That's so it's really the same thing. Real fast, there's a First Peter three. There's a passage where it says uh, Jesus uh, preached to the spirits in prison. Yes. Do you think that's a reference to preaching to those who are in not hell, probably, but or Hades Sheol. or something like that, Sheol, and um, to those who died before Christ? Is is that a place you might look to answer this question of what about all the people before Jesus? It, it's it's possible. I, I take the view that uh, when when the gospel was proclaimed. In, in the Old Testament. Mm. Um, there's a sense in I mean, that's the word of the Lord that is being proclaimed. Yeah. Uh, and as it, as it is proclaimed with any kind of power, with so any kind of effectiveness. it's not a deficient gospel, you would say. No, it's not a deficient yeah. gospel, but, but not only that, it's the, it's the same gospel yeah. and it is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and if it is effectual, it's the Holy Spirit that makes it effectual. Mm. So, so it is, it is in a sense, Jesus proclaiming that gospel at all times. I, I take that position. I know there's others and even faithful believers would say, some would say like Martin Luther, right, takes a different position from Calvin, for example, mm. on, on, on that. But, um, but, but we, there is some speculation because it's not explicitly laid out. It's an odd text. Yes, it is. It is an odd yeah. text. Yeah. Um, and yet but, we threw it right in the Apostles' Creed. Yeah. Yeah, well, in, in, a, in a way, in a way, yes. Yeah, yes. yeah descended into, yeah. into hell. Descended into Hades, hell. Yes, or, yes. In, in our hymnal, there's an asterisk. It says descended to the dead. Yes. And I've Ooh. actually said we should probably say that yes. because hell is not the gates yet opened. The, the answer, so. the, ans- the, the question that was being answered when the Apostles' Creed comes together is whether or not Jesus, first of all, is truly fully human. And that, and that will come more to fruition um in, in the Nicene Creed, uh, and not just his humanity, but but his deity, but also, therefore, because he's human, did he actually fully die? And and, and the descending times the and, and the descending into hell is another way of saying he yes. he fully Real died. Dead. He really he really yeah. did die. Uh, which also means that he really was raised. But anyway, Okay, yes. man, we, we're throwing extra questions at you because it's like we're so excited to have you here. And Okay, but I'm going to move us on to our last question, which yes. we've already hinted at with some of the yes. other things, yes. right? Um, but the word Trinity is not in the Bible, as far as I know. Um, so the question is, does the Bible really say that God is triune? Does the Bible teach the Trinity? Doesn't say, does it say a Trinity? Does it teach the Trinity? Thoughts? Do you want to start this one off? Uh, you don't have to. Sure. I just <laughs> um, yeah, no, it doesn't say the word Trinity. Um, the Bible doesn't make sense without the Trinity. I think the apostles mm. are writing with knowledge of the Trinity, it's assumed, sort of mm-hmm. baked in. Um, and so... Uh, Give us a very quick description. What is tr- Trinity, as Christians think of it? Uh, boy, uh, in James White's book, The Forgotten Trinity, he does a great job of outlining this. But, um, you know, uh, there are three there are three hallmarks, but I can only remember two. But basically, you have one being, uh, th- that being the, the I am. Um, I am, you know, it's not I don't exist, but I am, right? Uh, <laughs> Yahweh. Um, and Yahweh uh, is three distinct persons, you know, Father, Son, and Spirit. So there's a distinction between the persons. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, in some sense, do different things, right? So the Father doesn't die on the cross, uh, mm-hmm. as an example. But um, 
So uh, three distinct persons, they are unified as as one being, and that's the distinction. Uh, and there, there's maybe another qualification that I'm missing. But those are, those are the things that I would emphasize, certainly, if I was talking to, say, you know, a Muslim or... You know, some, yeah, and I mean, I'm going to defer to Juan Carlos to give us sort of the evidences for this in scripture, though I, I feel like I could do it. But um, one of the things that's so cool about the Trinity is that we're the only belief system, the only religion that, that has this idea that before humans were ever made, before the universe was ever made, before is a linear word, but we have to use it, um, that there was this, you know, this beautiful, harmonious, relational thing happening in the Godhead, right? That there was relationship, that there was submission, that there was love. And out of this great love between these three persons, creation happened. And out of this great love, of course, you know, Christ comes and rescues us. And and so it's kind of a cool thing because when you hear someone say, and I know people come for me on this, but that Allah is love. It's like, well, but do you have as much evidence of Allah being love? Because um and we they just talked about this this last weekend at the conference I was at. Um we believe that God created us out of an abundance of, I don't want to say self-love, but this mm-hmm. internal system of love, this dance, right? The perichoresis, is that the fancy word? That's where we get the word dance from, the second part of that, right? Yeah. Anyway, what are your thoughts on this? Well, I, I have to you, – you, you mentioned one thing that's actually polemical within the Godhead. You mentioned submission, mm-hmm. that there was submission. Mm-hmm. Some would say that there was um, – Many, including me, would say that there was no submission. Okay, in, 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 and, and that's a can of worms. We don't, we don't have to get into that, right? You mean right at now. all or before create before creation? Before, so well, even in God as divine, we, mm-hmm. there's no submission in in the Godhead in terms of in in the in the divinity of the Godhead because there's there God doesn't have different wills. The yeah, Son that makes sense. The Son um, when he takes human flesh. He does submit to the mm-hmm. will of the Father, but he's doing it there as as the human being who perfectly obeys and keeps the law. Gotcha. Uh, so, yeah, but, no, but, that's, but that good. Is, that's yes, good. Yes, yes. Yeah, um, I like it. Now, um, the Westminster Larger Catechism is super helpful here. Uh, it's a, it has this question, question 11. How does it appear, and when it says appear, it is, you know, it, what, what it means is how does it, is it evidence that? Mm-hmm. How does it appear that that the Son and the Holy Ghost and God are equal with the Father? So the question is, how can we know? How can the Bible from Scripture know that that the Son is equal with the Just Father as much and, God and, as, and the Holy yeah. Spirit as well? And the answer it gives is this. The Scriptures manifest that the Son and the Holy Ghost are God equal with the Father, ascribing unto them such names, attributes, works, and worship as are proper to God only. So just thinking list of those that categories. List again, yes. names. Names, attributes, works, oh, and worship. Okay. That's good. They, they are, these are four categories that we can think of that are in in some ways can be unique only to God, certain names that can only belong mm-hmm. to God, certain attributes that can only belong to God, mm-hmm. certain works that are on, that only belong to God, and, and worship, which is due only mm-hmm. to God. And yet, according to the Westminster Larger Catechism, we can find in Scripture instances of all of these being ascribed to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. Yeah, I love that. Uh, and, and so that's a very helpful thing. Like, like in other words, if you say something about Jesus and it's not that, then it's it would be blasphemy, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. so, so if he if you give him a name like that's Lord right. or or God, um, and if it's not true, then it's blasphemy. So yes, uh, or he only he can forgive sins. We talked about this in one of our episodes mm-hmm. as well when we talked about whether Jesus was God. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Anyway, that's, that's turns exactly, out he was. Still, turns, is. turns yeah. out he yes, turns out he yeah. is. Um, yes, so so that's very helpful because we don't have to just sort of open up our Bibles and start just flipping through. Pay. Oh, look at this one, right? We don't uh, have to go you, very far though to you, find the you, No, you don't. Yeah. You you can from the very beginning actually, right? So so for example, uh, with with names, the word uh, God uh, is attributed, and and the word Lord. So just to pick two, mm-hmm. uh, are attributed to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in in various texts. In Genesis one one. Is, is you know from from the very beginning in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and there uh, as as scripture is unfolded very clear that term is usually applied to the Father mm-hmm. in, in the Old Testament in Titus two thirteen calls Jesus mm-hmm. God and and we find that in many other places as well but I'm just, I'll just list one uh, and then the Holy Spirit in Acts five three and four uh, you know when when um, uh, and Ananias and Sapphira when they Sin when they lie, they they actually they they uh, blaspheme against God, and it's and it's against the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. right? So so there, the Holy Spirit is called God, um, Lord, in Isaiah forty three, 
the Father, Isaiah 43, 3 is the Father who's in view there. In, in Philippians 2, 10 and, and 11, quoting uh, uh, from, uh, I think it's, I, I want to say it's Isaiah 45, um, uh, unto me every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess. And this is Yahweh speaking mm-hmm. in the Old Testament. Uh, and, and it's unto the Lord, right? And, and in Philippians 2, 10 and 11, Paul says that, that uh, Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He is a, a, ascribing to Jesus himself mm-hmm. the, the name uh, that was to, that was ascribed in the Old Testament to God, Yahweh, um, Lord in the New Testament. And then in 2 Corinthians 3.17, uh, the, the Lord uh, is the Spirit, um, referring there to, to, to the Holy Spirit. So, so you have... God and Lord, the the three uh, persons in the Godhead attributed with those names. Attributes. God is infinite. Uh, we have that in Jeremiah 23, uh, verses 23 and 24, ascribed to the Father. Uh, Colossians 117, ascribed mm-hmm. to the Son. Uh, Psalm 139, 7 through 10. Infinite. That, that is to say, there's nowhere where we can go where he is not there. Uh, that's mm. that's ascribed to the Holy Spirit in, in Psalm 139. Eternal. That there is no time when mm-hmm. God is not. Uh, we, we Psalm ninety verse two, referring to the Father. Um, John one one, right, mm-hmm. referring to the good? Son. Yeah. And then Hebrews nine fourteen, uh, referring to the Holy Spirit. So you have attributes there. Works, the works of creation and the works of salvation. For example, proper to uh, God as 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 Creator and Redeemer. Genesis one one, uh, the Father. Genesis one two, we see the Spirit uh, hovering, the waters, right? Yeah. And then John one three. Uh, referring to the Son. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Mm-hmm. So there you have the Son, right, uh, uh, referred as as the Creator. Savior, uh, it is in Isaiah 43.3, referring to the Father. First John 4.14, hmm. uh, it, it is Jesus who is the Savior. And of course, His name uh, will tell us that as well. And Ephesians 1.13 and 14, we see that it is the Holy Spirit that seals our salvation. So, so there are creation and, and salvation. So works, we, we have names, attributes, and works. And finally, worship. Um, it is who, who receives worship? Well, only God can properly, rightly receive worship. Mm-hmm. And we see that in Revelation 5, 11 to 14, for example, the Father being worshiped. By the way, there you also see, and, but there and in Revelation 7, the Son as the Lamb being worshiped, receiving worship. But in, in Matthew 28, 17, very um, explicitly, the resurrected Jesus uh, receive, is worshiped by his disciples. And Jesus doesn't say, hey, don't do that. You know, like like angels do, or like Paul and Barnabas do, for example, in the Book of Acts, um, and and then in John four twenty four, uh, Jesus um, says that um, right worship happens in spirit and in truth, mm-hmm. right? And the Holy Spirit is you, you can't you can't have worship without the Holy Spirit. So um, and then of course baptism, which is a a sacrament, a divine uh, ceremony being given. Well, that's in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and blessing. Which, you know, mm-hmm. when you were going to bless somebody, uh, you would you would bless them in the name of God. Uh, here you have in Second Corinthians uh, thirteen, verse fourteen, you you have the the uh, the, the famous benediction there that Paul gives. Uh, in, in the the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. be with you. Right. So that is a, a benediction in God's name, but but actually it's it's it refers to Father, Son, and Spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, that's proper only of God. So in names, attributes, works, and worship, you have the Trinity being taught very clearly uh, in the Bible, both in the Old and the New Testament. Man, that was some rapid fire theology. I love it. This is like, I'm not even joking when I said this is like probably three or four classes, theology classes crammed into this one hour. We're, we ju- we're not even yet at an hour. Can I just say one thing? Yeah. I will say, well, first of all, I think most people misunderstand the Trinity because they don't make the right distinction between being in person. Yes. They refuse to do that. Um for whatever reason, they 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 just start immediately. Like most Muslims, for example, they they will start talking about three beings, yes. right? So now we're now we're polytheists or whatever. Which, by the um, way, initially it was Mary. They they thought, yeah, right? in the, in they the Quran, that, that, yeah, Jesus, yes. the, the Father, Son, and Mary, yes. or something. So so which leads to some doubt as to whether the Quran was actually divinely inspired. You know, it was actually factually wrong about uh, something. Um, but. Um, the other thing is, you know, even those words, though, I understand if, if, if someone did want to lob some criticism at the, these concepts of being in person, that's fine. You know, these are kind of Greek concepts in and of themselves. 
we're trying our best to describe something unique. That's why all these metaphors for the Trinity fail. Yes. You know, you know uh, like the egg being in three parts. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, in, in the words of the great Lutheran satire, that's partialism, Patrick. Uh, you have to say <laughs> modalism, Patrick. Know, right. You have to use your accent. But actually, that five-minute clip is, is extremely valuable because yes. it explains these, you know, or like the, the fireman, right, who's a, a fireman by vocation, a father and a son or whatever, right? He's these three things in one person. So they, they kind of all fall apart because... The Trinity is unique in nature. There's not another Trinity out there, you know, of this of this thing that is one being in three persons. A person, by the way, persona was like in Greek theater. It was the the, the actor would wear a mask, right? Mm-hmm. So they were representing a kind of iconic archetype or something. An archetype, yeah. yeah. So, um, so the, these are. I, I would admit the one kind of caveat I would admit is that even these categories, they're the best we can come up with. Yeah, but it's even they're somewhat limited in in what we're trying to describe. But what, but what. We can't escape, you know, is this, there is one, you know, there is one being, there's one God, we affirm that absolutely, and yet there are these distinctions that we just cannot get away from. And we don't have to understand it perfectly to, um, to worship, to be saved, right? I mean, it's all, there's, there's going to be mystery and a lot of things have to do with God. It's interesting, you know, when I was doing a study on judges, they talk about the spirit a lot in judges because it keeps falling on people. Like, and the spirit Mm -hmm. of God came upon Samson or the spirit of God came upon Gideon. Um, no, they may not have thought about it the way that, you know, people in the new Testament and certainly now we do. I'm sure they had some kind of limitations on their understanding. No one then could have thought that now we were going to be like, Oh, I got slain in the spirit. We don't have to go there. But um, but still, it's there. It's not like it's some hidden mm-hmm. thing. It's like, well, now that we got to the New Testament, Jesus promised this thing is coming, and now it's here for the first time ever. Like Samson yeah. is probably up in heaven going like, y'all, come on. We've yeah. known about him can for a long time. I, can I say one other thing? You said it, but I just want to really clarify because I think so many Christians, get they don't understand this at all. Like they think, oh, sure, Trinity, that's fine. They think... Well, yeah, there was the father in the Old Testament by himself. Yes. And then once we have the birth of Jesus, now we have the son. Right. And then he sends the spirit, and now we have this, you know, so a lot of Christians. Progressive think, revelation yes. sort so of So to be very, very clear, the Trinity has mm-hmm. always existed before time. So like you said, it's mm-hmm. impossible linguistically to say it correctly. But the father, son, and spirit existed eternally, you know, or before time, I would say timelessly, uh, before the creation. The son became flesh. Uh, and sent the spirit. But as you said, in Genesis 1-1, there's the spirit. So I, I just hope Christians really understand the Trinity has always existed. Father, Son, and Spirit as unique persons have always existed, even if it is the case that one of those persons became flesh. Um, now, the way that Jesus exists now, I think, is an interesting question. You know, and like the way, does Jesus still, you know, in some way, does God himself actually still interact with linear time? Uh, or is he outside of time? But those are questions, I think, not necessarily Maybe for answer, a more philosophical yeah. episode. Yeah. I think if you combine Genesis 1 and John 1, you get a pretty neat package of yeah. the entire Trinity being present at the very dawn of time. And creation, yeah, which I guess happened. And the baptism time. of Jesus, you know, because yes. there. Oh yeah, the, you have know, the dove have the, descending the dove and, and hovering over the water, and that's right. That's I think right. that's. And a, then the words, yeah. the audible words of God. That's yeah. another one. Yeah, that's good. Well, and and just to go back to the con- the concept of covenant, in in Genesis fifteen, we have um, you know Abraham is advanced in age and he has he still doesn't have a, a, a descendant of his own and so he thinks well you know is it going to be my servant that is going to be is the promise going to go through him and God tells him no you're going to have your own your own um, son but what what they that do then is they they um, have this covenant ceremony God makes a oh, promise yes. to Abraham Love right and then you part. have the 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 animals that are that are cut open mm-hmm and normally, and this is this is standard right. procedure in in ancient Lord times. Lord and Vassar kind of. That's Vassard, right. That's Vassar. right. Susurin vassal treaties of of the Hittites, for example, mm. uh, who ha- have their peak as as Moses is writing the Pentateuch. But um, what's what's fascinating about what happens then, of course, is that it's expected that the vassal, the lower one of the two right. that are entering the covenant, is to go through, through it. And, and the reason is it's a self-maledictory curse. Yes. Right. If I break the covenant that we just made, may what happened to, to them like may it it happen to me. Thing. Yeah. But but Abraham is incapable of going through because he's put into uh, a. It's almost like he's dead. The 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 text says, and so what he sees is this uh, smoking pot and this torch fire that going through it. He sees a a prototype of what will lead 
Israel through the through the uh, and during the Exodus through the Fire wilderness, right? Fire, yes, yeah. and, and he's, so, it, so it's God Himself mm-hmm. who is going through this, and and you think, well, how is it that God would take a self maledictory curse upon Himself, and then and then Christ comes, yep, and he it, he becomes the curse for us, cut mm-hmm. apart that, like that, that, that we might be credited as righteous, reckoned as righteous in His sight. So so we've talked a lot about theology. But let, let's not miss here the amazing, incredible love of God for his people, mm-hmm. that he stops at nothing to save those whom he loves, um, e- even to the point of the father giving up his own son, mm-hmm. even to, to the point of the bridegroom laying his life down for his bride. Mm-hmm. How amazing is that? Yeah. Uh, so um, it, it, is, it is a love story. Yeah. It is a love story, and we have to marvel. Yes, God is uh, incomprehensible fully to us, but would we expect less? It, would, right. would, he it would be, be a be- very good God. Would it be better if we could understand him fully? I'll, I'll close with this, uh, if, if, I, if you permit me. Uh, one of the stories about Augustine, it's, it's, a, um, it's a legend. Yeah. But it's an, it's an old legend. And, um, you know, Augustine gives us, among his many wonderful works, a treatise on the Trinity. And uh, according to the legend, as he was thinking about this, and you know, how, how could I, how could I try to explain the Trinity? He had been thinking about it for a long time, and he's taking this walk along the uh, North African shore there of the Mediterranean, and he sees that there's this young child who's diligently uh, trying to. He's, he's digging a hole, and, and he's just very, work, very uh, working very hard and, and, and consumed by by this. And so Augustine decides, well, I'm going to go talk to this kid, right? So he goes over and he says, what are you doing? And he says, well, I'm, I'm building, I'm digging this hole. He says, well, I can see that, yeah. but why are you digging this hole? He says, well, because I think if I dig it deep enough, I can, I can make the, all the water fit in it. And, and Augustine then, of course, realizes that that's what he's trying to do. Mm. As brilliant as Augustine is in, in his, he has a finite mind and he's trying mm-hmm. to comprehend the infinite God. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, we cannot do that. Yeah. But what we can do is understand as he, as he reveals himself in his word, and by his spirit, we are able to affirm everything that is revealed in his word. And the, the word very clearly says that God is one, but also very clearly says and teaches that that the Father is God, that the Son is God, and that the Spirit is God. Mm-hmm. Praise, be, praise be to God. Amen. All right. Well, um, if people don't like something that you had to say today and they want to find you and argue with you and tell you what a mean Calvinist you are, where can people find you? You can email me at juancarlos at cepc.org. Say it slowly. Are you saying C-E? Yes. It, so the, the email address is still C-E-P-C that are, and, and will be and, and will it will always come to the right place if you send it there. Juan Carlos at cepc.org. And, um, and, and you, yeah, I'm an associate pastor there uh, at, yeah. at Christ Presbyterian Church here in Houston. Awesome. And everything you need to know about the Aldi on top. You can find it at HoustonTOT.com or you can come to one of our events. In fact, we have an upcoming event. I think this will air before that event where, um, yes, I know it will, uh, where Juan Carlos is going to be debating a dear friend of his about baptism. It's going to be good. And there are two spots left, two. You hear, heard it here. So um, so check it out and then and go RSVP to that if you want to. But until we uh, meet again, we encourage you as always to question freely. Think deeply and disagree as needed.